from Wyoming Catholic College. You're listening to the After Dinner Scholar. I'm Dr. Jim Tonkowicz, your host. Each year, the Wyoming Catholic College faculty asks the senior class to select one of their number to speak for that class at graduation. The class of 2022 chose Mr. Andrew Russell. And I think you'll agree with those who attended the graduation that Andrew's address was quite remarkable. His presence, content, delivery, and vision reminded us all once again of what we're trying to accomplish at Wyoming Catholic College, and that, to a great extent, we're succeeding. Dr. Reno, Chairman Powers, President Arbery, Board of Directors, Dean Washett, esteemed faculty, staff, friends of the college, visiting families of students, freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and for the very last time, seniors. We are here to celebrate the last four years, the life of our class. But in a larger sense, we are here in anticipation of the next four centuries of Western civilization. Most people will not understand what it means to graduate from a school like this, to leave your classmates, some of them forever. For four years, we have laughed together, sometimes to the detriment of a class discussion. <laughs> we have helped each other through tragedies. We have had deep, philosophical, personal, whimsical, sometimes downright dumb conversations. But overall, we grew up together like a family. None of us would be the people we are today without all of us. As members of our family, we, we were joined these four years by the great authors of history. Together, the ancient authors and we in our youth shaped each other's minds and wills, made us into the bright young men and women we are today. But now, it is time for the family we have formed to disperse and go out into the world. Now, we are called to live out the lofty principles we inherited from the noble dead of the centuries and practice them in the here and now. This is the issue upon which the worth of this education turns. Our diplomas mean nothing until we have used them. We often say that our education is useless, meaning that we study it for its own sake. But we are communal creatures, so there is another telos, another purpose of education, which is entirely useful. In this sense, this education is only useless if you go out tomorrow and get a brain transplant. Our classroom discussions, our mass intentions, our porch conversations late into the night or all the way through it, our relationships, our breakups, our silences have formed our minds and our wills so that we can show our neighbor the beauty of the truth. And so the question is, how do we do that? How do we live life after graduation? Can the principles of this integrated curriculum founded on virtuous friendship, a consciousness of the past, and a faithfulness to the magisterium long endure the muck and malaise of this mundane daily nine to five existence? We are met on a great battlefield of that question. <clears throat> we are entering an entirely new world. Freshman year, you remember, we were introduced to Plato, Aristotle, Thucydides, basic logic, and Euclidean geometry, through which we learned to think rationally, that is, syllogistically, methodically, and humanly. This kind of thinking is a far cry from our current political scene. Our presidential debates are full of logical fallacies and are deeply sophistical, but certainly not sophisticated. 
The scene seems more and more like a national sporting event, with announcers who fuel the drama for more views, and fans who fail to take the time to be well-informed, but compensate for their lack of critical thought with outbursts of the worst passions. After freshman year, we can appreciate rational thinking, but we are entering, by and large, into an irrational system. In sophomore year, we learned to use our reason to discover God's presence in his handiwork through such authors as Augustine, Boethius, Aquinas, and Dante. On the contrary, I do not need to read you statistics on mass attendance, belief in transubstantiation, or belief in God among the general public. We are undeniably living in one of the most atheistic ages in history. We understand that all of this is within God's providence, but it is difficult to see how. Then junior year, we read Chaucer, Shakespeare, Milton, Aristotle's Ethics, our junior authors, and we studied Christology, all of which gave us a sense of the universal problem of being a human. We encountered the problem of the cosmic joke. Man is essentially an angel's intellect, potentially capable of comprehending all knowledge, but possesses a body which is the same nature as cows, pigs, and bedbugs. <laughs> Today, it feels like we are entering the society of the bedbugs. Modernity caters to our passions with consumerism and absolute relativity, to the detriment of our nobler ends, the intellectual life, and participation in divine condescension and transcendence. And finally, senior year. Huck Finn, Moby Dick, Madame Bovary, Brothers Karamazov, Descartes, Hume, Kant, Hegel, Kierkegaard, Darwin, Theses, and the modern novels all gave us an idea of the existential depression, the skepticism, and the neo-nihilism which characterized the modern era. This is the world that we are entering. And on the pedestal, these words appear, abandon hope, all ye who enter here. <laughs> if this speech ended now, it would be called a call to revolution, or at least a giving up. <laughs> but instead, I title it, how to save the world. Notes from a random 23-year-old. <laughs> because I believe that the modern world is worth saving. It could be tempting to find a farm in the middle of nowhere, homeschool your average family of 19.5 kids, <laughs> and consider it your civic duty to have nothing to do with society. But this option is only available for so many. The rest of us must engage with modernity, with modern society, with modern people. Christ came to save sinners, and we are lucky enough to have plenty of those. Pope Benedict XVI addressed the scientific community with these words, we cannot simply turn the clock back. He meant that Western civilization has progressed, perhaps not in morality or philosophy, or at least not as a whole, but we have moved past the medieval age. So no matter how hard we try, we cannot go back to it. The dawning age is, by definition, postmodern. It must engage with the current problems and respond to them, rather than ignore them and go back to a pre-modern era. The modern age has posed valid questions. What is man's role in the cosmos if he is only the smallest speck of matter in an unimaginably vast and cold universe? How does democracy and the individualism it promotes coexist with our communal nature? If a woman's vocation was traditionally in the home, how does that change with the advent of the dishwasher, the washing machine, and the Roomba? Where is God's creative power and his gracious will when science can explain everything and Amazon can give us anything? 
Thomas Aquinas did not answer these questions. We must. In Leo Tolstoy's novella, The Death of Ivan Ilyich, which the seniors just finished reading, lying on his deathbed, Ivan's soul dangles above a black hole, which represents the recognition that his life was not lived well. But once he falls in, he pierces through the blackness and there is a light. He has a humility, one that recognizes the good life that this world offers for the emptiness that it is, and a hope, one that believes that genuine love, no matter how little, can redeem everything. This is the light at the end of the tunnel. The psalmist sings to God, if I make my bed in shale, there thou art. We, the young generation of Catholic intellectuals, cannot circumvent or flee the black hole of modernity. We must dive into it, shake its hand, strike up a conversation, politely decline its immoral offers, but above all, love it. Because the modern age is just other people like us. Personally, I find it easy to love my neighbor, provided they are Catholic, conservative, homeschooled, and Green Bay fans. <laughs> but my real neighbor is a Samaritan. If we must re-enter Plato's cave, the world outside this school, then we go as the philosopher, not to chastise our fellow men and blow off some pent-up judgmental indignation, but to show them the real world. Dramatic page turn. But how? So far, this speech should be titled, Save the World. But now we get to the how to. Contemporary society is one of the most anti-historical periods in history. It has turned the tables on tradition, and instead of venerating the authors and ideas that have stood the test of time, it rejects them by default as outdated. True, there are vast stores of archeological items labeled with coat tags, buried away in dusty rooms at universities, and any toddler with an iPhone can access the History Channel. But I have a suspicion that the father of modern history personally hated history, and that is why he made it so dull, dry, and inhuman. History is reduced to facts, divorced from a story, making it only a pale shadow of its true self. Without a sense of the past, the present becomes meaningless, and the future terrifying. The present only has a meaning when it is part of a story. Nowadays, society fights for women's rights, but it has forgotten why, and so it no longer remembers what human rights are. Modern art pushes the boundaries of art, but it forgot that art is meant to beautify the good and redeem the ugly, so it makes ugly things. Modern science can count the stars in the sky and explore the quantum world in our fingertips, but it forgot who wrote that cosmic love letter, so it affirms atheism. Neil deGrasse Tyson resolved a very old moral dilemma facing young parents. Can parents, in good conscience, teach their children the dubious song, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star? He argued that, since science has explained what a star is, it is misleading for children to wonder what they are anymore. <laughs> for him, outdated myths have no place in the scientific world. I have heard that Alzheimer's patients often struggle to maintain their identity, to remember who they are. Our entire society has Alzheimer's. People have said that we live in a bubble at this school, separated from the outside world, when in reality, the outside world is in a bubble, separated from its own roots, barely conscious of the meaning of man's time on this earth. Gauguin's title may have been corny, but he did ask the right questions. Where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going?
If you really want to save the world, tell it a story. Tell it about Aristotle, who tried to understand the nature of reality through experimentation and philosophy and ended up discovering the creator. Tell it about Scaevolus, who put the good of his city above his own and willingly burnt off his right hand. Tell it about Thrasymachus, who thought that might makes right. Then tell it how Socrates utterly humiliated him. <laughs> and tell it about Christ, his infinite condescension, his humility, his providence, and his love. This is why the Gospels are written as stories. We all took rhetoric and we gave orations, so we know that it is not enough to speak the truth. You have to speak it beautifully. The truth must dazzle gradually, else every man be blind. I believe that the dawning era of Christendom will be the greatest the world has ever seen. With our modern vantage point, we can look back both on Aristotelian to mystic political theory and the modern experiments in constitutional democracy and even socialism. This near cosmic perspective allows us to pierce deeper into Augustine's principle that the city of God can coexist with the city of man. Once the modern political sphere remembers man's nature and his final end, it will have the greatest means of advancing that end. When capitalism remembers the poor and the marginalized, when social media and mass media are oriented toward the truth, and when modern cosmology shows us the handiwork of God, then we have won back modern society for the truth. A Catholicism which engages with and responds to a relativistic world with its underlying nihilism is a stronger Catholicism for it. The more desperate the gates of hell are, the more devastating is their failure. So do not fear those who can harm the body or those who can cancel you. Fight the good fight, have the good conversation. But, borrowing from C.S. Lewis, today is a Monday morning. Slaying the dragon of modernity and freeing the princess of humanity is exciting. The opposite of exciting is loading boxes onto a truck, bailing hay, and cold calling potential clients. This is the world of disenchantment, where high ideals are drowned in the sound of the kids screaming, where noble aspirations are delayed until the mower is fixed. I have heard it said that the three hardest things to say are, I'm sorry, I forgive you, and Worcestershire sauce. <laughs> I find that extremely fascinating because it is philosophically valid. <laughs> there are often real practical obstacles to speaking the truth. So this portion of the speech is called an objection from Worcestershire sauce and laundry baskets. For the rest of our lives, we will have to deal with laundry baskets, either literally because hopefully we will, be, we will be washing our clothes, <laughs> or figuratively, as anything later in life which, we will, which will impede us, hinder us, or, if you will, hamper us. <laughs> life outside the poor... <laughs> I've been telling the first half of that joke for three years now. Life outside the portal of this institution will likely not be a Bernini sculpture of the leisurely life. There will be jobs, bad habits, uncertainties, moral conundrums, and difficult people. We want to save mankind, but do we have to save that guy? He's an atheist or a hippie. He doesn't share our moral standards. He's modern to the core whether he knows it or not. And worst of all, he has a nose ring. <laughs> <laughs> 
When it comes down to the details, saving mankind seems, more, seems like no more than a hopeless chore. I can offer two solutions for this problem. First, it is not the world that is disenchanted. We are. Human curiosity only has so much room for one question. So when we are inundated with scientific and statistical explanations for the wonderful things around us, we forget that there is anything else to them. A rainbow is light refracted through prisms, that is, wavelengths filtered and dispersed so that they hit the eye as the mere phenomenon of separated colors. We have enough of an explanation, so we tend to forget that the rainbow is beautiful. The same thing happens with the rest of God's creation. This school has a slogan behind me now, wisdom in God's country. And after spending weeks in the mountains and riding horses, we can realize that the whole world is God's country, his gift for us, a way for us to delight in finding his hand. Pierce through the disenchantment and you will only find more wonders than the ancients could ever dream of. Secondly, people are not like laundry baskets. We are not either wholly clean or entirely dirty. We are mixed bags, all of us. So when we judge the sins of others and chastise them in charity, we do well. But when we forget our own sinfulness and judge ourselves to be metaphysically better than our neighbor, when we pass by on the other side of the road, we damn ourselves with them. Admittedly, it is difficult to love the person next to you, but he is in fact the only one you can love. We read in Dostoevsky's Brothers Karamazov that the world will be saved when we get over the nose ring and love the person behind it. <laughs> Christ came to save sinners, so rejoice that none of us can cast a stone, because only by recognizing our sinfulness, our universal relatability, by piercing into the black hole, do we have hope of salvation. We are entering on a difficult enterprise, tasked with saving the world so that four years of education feels like a meager amount of time to prepare. But life on this earth is a series of trials and errors which God gives us so that we can never quite get comfortable in our temporary home. We will always be learning from our mistakes. Perhaps Tolkien said it best, all we have to, do, all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. For us, that means telling stories. At the end of the Brothers Karamazov, which we seniors just finished reading. Alyosha and a group of schoolboys, after leaving the funeral of one of their comrades, Ilyusha, pass by one of the deceased boy's favorite rocks, and Alyosha takes the opportunity to make a speech. That speech is just as appropriate now, and Dostoevsky says it far better than I could. Alyosha begins, quote, We shall soon part. Let us make a compact here that we will never forget Ilyusha and one another. And, whatever happens to us later in life, let us always remember how we buried that poor boy at whom we once threw stones, and how, afterwards, we all grew so fond of him. And, even if we are occupied with the most important things, if we attain to honor or fall into great misfortune, still, let us remember how good it was once here, when we were all together, united by a good and kind feeling which made us for the time we were loving that poor boy, better perhaps than we are. There is nothing higher and stronger and more wholesome and good for life in the future than some good memory, especially a memory of childhood, of home. People talk to you a great deal about your education, but some good sacred memory preserved from childhood 
is perhaps the best education. If a man carries many such memories with him into life, he is safe to the end of his days. And if one has only one good memory left in one's heart, even that may sometime be the means of saving us. You are all dear to me. From this day forth, I have a place in my heart for all of you. And I beg you to keep a place in your hearts for me. Ilyusha united us in this kind, good feeling, which we shall remember all our lives. May his memory live forever in our hearts from this time forth." End quote. When we walk out those doors in a few short hours, after four years, we will have stories to share with the world. Like when, as freshmen, we read the Epic of Gilgamesh out loud in mixed company and it was a little bit awkward. <laughs> or all the drama of hosting a class dance, or something more personal. Like how I have been radically changed by all of you, and I will never forget your friendship. If you do not think you possess such a memory to carry into life, remember that for each and every one of us, to the end of our days, whether we like it or not, for good or for evil, we will be repeating John Johnisms till the day we die. <laughs> now go out and save the world one nose ring at a time. If you know high school students who are looking for the kind of college experience Andrew Russell and his classmates enjoyed, why not introduce them to Wyoming Catholic College? Our website, wyomingcatholic.edu, is packed with information, and our admissions department, ably led by Ms. Madeline Troll, is happy to supply more information and answers to questions. For Wyoming Catholic College, this is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz.